Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is April the 24th, 2020. And boy, oh boy, what a difference a couple of months can make. I hope that all of you are safe and well. Uh, We certainly are living in a perilous era, a strange era. I feel as though this is a science fiction movie, kind of like uh, Outbreak with Dustin um, Hoffman. You know, I I really wonder uh, sometimes why it sometimes seems that it takes a disaster like this to get people to demonstrate some civility, some common sense, uh, some sense of of compassion among us. You know, um, this really, this whole thing, I think, is is really a wake-up call in terms of what we value. And and by the way, uh, normally I focus on immigration. And today, rather than do that, we're going to be looking at some other issues. Specifically, uh, I want to talk about the First Amendment. I want to talk about so-called journalism and just how fragile democracy can be and why it is so vital that the American people be given the truth, uh, the unvarnished truth. You know, the old line from a few good men, you can't handle the truth. Well, the American people must have the truth. And, And so that's what I really want to focus on. Uh, Ever since the terror attacks of 9-11, my goal has been to provide accurate information based on my 30 years of experience on the immigration issue as it impacted the terror attacks of 9-11. Immigration, of course, has an impact here also, uh, and we'll touch on that, and I've been speaking about it. But I really want to get down to why language is so critical. I spoke about it last week, and and I want to reiterate the point. Uh, you know, Front Page Magazine just published my article um, day before yesterday, titled Fake News at Orwell's Ministry of Truth. Today's progressive journalists perpetually reveal their true calling. Uh, really, after you listen to my program, please go Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com, and check out my article. And, and what I would love for you to do, this needs to go viral, not because I wrote it, but because it is so critical. We have become a nation divided in large measure because of the mainstream media. We've become a nation divided because we've been, t- been intimidated, and the name-calling doesn't ever stop. And once you smear people, this is a smear campaign. It really is. If you say, let's secure the borders, let's protect our country, let's not let criminals in, let's learn the lessons that the terror attacks of 9-11 needed to teach us, you are going to be smeared. You're going to be hammered. You're going to be attacked. You're going to be verbally, God knows, maybe God forbid, physically assaulted because there are globalists among us who don't like borders. When they testified before a congressional hearing before the House Subcommittee on Immigration and Border Security Subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee, there was an individual there, and I won't say gentleman, because this guy was anything but a gentleman. He infuriated me, uh, and I remain infuriated, 
because he came up to me during a recess when the members of Congress had to call a recess in the hearing so they could go vote on a bill or on a measure or whatever. They're always voting. The bells ring and they run. It's kind of funny. It's like, you know, they're off to the races. It's like being in the firehouse. The bell rings and they charge. So they called a recess so they could vote. So we were standing around and chatting. I was talking to a couple of reporters. I was speaking to a couple of people who were attending the hearing. They're open to the public. This wasn't the classified hearing. And this guy who was associated with a group affiliated with the U.S. Chamber of Horrors, uh, it's Chamber of Commerce, I always confuse that, came up to me and he said, you know, Mr. Cutler, you really have got to stop this insistence on securing those borders and forcing the laws. He said, those borders are an absolute impediment to my wealth. You and your attitude cost me money. And I looked at him and he said, wow. I said, do you realize those borders are our first and last line of defense? He said, I don't give a damn about that. People are going to die no matter what. And I said, well, by your standard, we should probably not be searching people on airplanes because it might deter people from flying. He said, absolutely. Absolutely. Planes are going to crash. People are going to die. People are going to get shot. No one lives forever. And he said, and all you're doing is making it harder for me to get some that wealth that I need. He needs wealth. Okay. So I got real angry, and I said, you know, I hope that if, God forbid, there's a terror attack, that those characters don't hurt a hair on your head. He said to me, you're very considerate. I said, no, I'm not. He said, what do you mean? I said, I hope you survive so you can watch live and in person your family getting incinerated. And he got crazy and said, you want to go outside? They took off my jacket. He sat down. I didn't hear another word out of him. Now, I'm not trying to be mean and vindictive, but goodness, I lived through 9-11. My neighbors were killed. I've arrested terrorists in my career. And this know-it-all, for whom money is all that matters, you're an impediment to my wealth. Those secure borders are an impediment to my wealth. Keeping people safe is an impediment to my wealth. Hey, what the heck? Funeral homes, after all, are a business. Why would we want to slow down that business? Why, indeed, look at New York today. In part because of immigration, New York City has more dead bodies than they know how to deal with. It's a fact. New York State now has something on the order of 16,000 or more dead bodies attributed to the coronavirus. It's astonishing. It's astonishing. I'm a capitalist. I'm not a socialist. But the level of greed and the level of hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle needs to be highlighted. Because if you can show people just how hypocritical these bums are on both sides of the aisle, whether it's Nancy Pelosi, and, and, I, and I joke about it. I just had a couple of shows today, and I, I was kidding. I said, you know, I heard an unsubstantiated rumor that Nancy's pilot's license for her broomstick may be getting revoked, and the host thought it was hysterical. But this is the wicked witch of the West. And I'm not being nasty. But understand that she is not just a civil servant. I was on earlier today with a good friend, uh, Gunther uh, Walsh, and I've been doing his show forever. We did a speaking engagement together a number of years ago. I love being on a show. I'm on with him every other week on Friday mornings, usually. Occasionally the schedule gets reshuffled. But he said, well, she's a civil servant. They said, no, that's not even the issue that she's a civil servant. The issue is that she is a representative. Let's think what that word means, representative. She is supposed to take into her account 
what's in the best interest of the people she represents, American citizens. How many of the people that she represents in Congress, those hallowed halls, I sometimes think of that place as the biggest whorehouse we've ever constructed in this country, uh, and it infuriates me, because those folks will do anything for a buck. You know, the similarities between the two oldest professions, in both professions, the practitioners will assume any position, no matter how dangerous, contrary to common sense, uncomfortable or embarrassing, for the right price. There's just no limit to what they will do for a buck, either profession. But if she's supposed to be representing her constituents, and and really all Americans, because the decisions they make don't just impact the people that live in their community. You know, I love it when you call up members of Congress, some of them will immediately speak to you, but a lot of times the staffer, the receptionist will say, well, where do you live? Are you a constituent? And I got into a big argument one day with the receptionist. I said, I'm in New York. Well, my congressman is from, I, I don't even remember where, didn't matter. And I said, so you're, you don't want to even understand what concerns me. Your boss, that congressman, um, is on a committee, and his decisions impact the whole country, or her decisions. Well, that may be true, but we generally only accept phone calls from people who, yeah, people who can vote for you. Unbelievable. You know, Congressman Steve King occasionally says things that are uh, different. Uh, I, I know Steve. We've had dinner together. We, we know each other. Um, and one day over lunch, I was testifying at a field hearing in Iowa. We were sitting on the bank of the Mississippi after the hearing. He treated me to a, a, a really nice prime rib meal and was sitting there. It was just so beautiful. It was like a photograph right by the Mississippi River. We were in uh, Iowa at the time. And I said, you know, um, I, I wish I lived in your district so you could represent me. It doesn't mean I agree with some of the things that he says, but I think he has his heart in the right place. Um, you know, but in any event, we were sitting there and I made that statement. And, and Steve said to me, he said, you know, Mike, you don't have to live in Iowa for me to represent you. He said, frankly, I'd love to have you for a next door neighbor, you know. But he said, the point of the matter is that when I make decisions, when I vote on bills in Congress, I don't only think about the residents of my hometown, but he said, I think about all Americans and how this impacts all Americans. And that really should be the way it operates. It shouldn't just be, well, if you can vote for me, then I'm willing to talk to you because the decisions they make impacts an entire country. When the idiot governor of New York, Cuomo, gives driver's licenses to illegal aliens, it's not just making things dangerous and difficult for New Yorkers. Because anybody with a driver's license can go anywhere in the United States. And throughout the world, the weapon of choice for terrorists, not airplanes, motor vehicles. So you give a driver's license to a terrorist, and you don't know who the terrorists are. They don't wear a sign. They don't have a tattoo on their forehead that says bad guy. You know, When they walk down the street, you don't hear that dramatic music like it's a James Bond movie or something. Uh, you know, you give people a driver's license, they can go anywhere in the country either by driving or by flying and then renting a car and using that car or that truck as part of a terror weapon, terror plot. We are all impacted. We're all one country. And so when I look at the craziness being foisted on America by the politicians and you come to realize that the chickens have come home to roost, this disaster has been a long time coming. It really has. 
And where's the immigration angle? I know you're sitting there asking that question. So I'll, I'll do that, and then we're going to get to this issue about journalism in my latest article for Front Page Magazine. First of all, let's remember that Ellis Island was a quarantine station, first and foremost, because the concern back then was that there were no antibiotics and a pandemic could easily, you know, flash through the population and kill lots of people, kind of like right now, because you know what? We don't have an antibiotic for this thing. There is no vaccine. We're searching for a cure. When I say we, our brilliant doctors and scientists, they're doing everything possible they're moving mountains to try to find a way to properly, effectively treat this terrible disease. And we're lucky. Imagine if this was something like the Ebola virus that killed like 95% of the people who got it. We could have lost our whole population. <clears throat> this isn't a joke. That border, and not just the Mexican border, remember any, any uh, state that has access to the coastline, any state that lies along the northern or southern borders or has an international airport are all border states. Undoubtedly, the coronavirus was imported to the United States through an international airport by somebody who came out of maybe China, maybe Europe, I don't know. But the point was it crossed international borders and ultimately crossed our border. And here we are. So there's a clear immigration element there. Now, what's interesting, and I've spoken about this before, is you have Cory Booker and Menendez from New Jersey saying, we've got to screen everyone coming into Newark International Airport, make sure they don't have the virus. Okay. And what if those people ran the Canadian border and then went to New Jersey or New York or wherever? What if they ran the Mexican border? Because these are guys that don't want border walls. They don't want immigration law enforcement. Come one, come all. And Bernie Sanders, who contradicts himself every other day, as they all do, they're not consistent. They're not consistent. Schumer wants a five-year federal penalty for anyone who would trespass on critical infrastructure or national landmarks but also wants to give aliens who trespass on America a path to citizenship. It's inconsistent. Honorable, moral, trustworthy people. Boy, there's a bunch of words you almost never associate with most politicians. There are exceptions. How many qualify for those terms? If they were honorable and moral and decent, and they would be consistent. Trespassing is trespassing. You would never say, don't trespass on critical infrastructure, but it's okay if you trespass on America. Mini Mike, when he was the mayor of New York, Mike uh, Bloomberg, when he was mayor, said that when people trespass in the housing projects, the police need to stop them and ask them, who are you and what are you doing here? And if they don't belong there, arrest them because trespassing is dangerous. Bloomberg wants amnesty for millions of illegal aliens. Inconsistent. Contradictory. He's contradicting himself. I wrote an article not long ago about how Bernie Sanders, the leftist dream candidate, nightmare candidate, said back in 06 or so that we must stop the flow of illegal aliens. We must go after people who hire them because you're destroying wages and jobs for Americans. You're killing the middle class. He's right. Now he wants to give every illegal alien citizenship. Now, what they also want to do is eliminate border security completely and provide free health care to illegal aliens, no matter how they get here, who they are. You're here. We're going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, we're, we are a fair society. We are a compassionate society. I just didn't know we were a suicidal society. 
because I want you to stop and understand what's really going on in the real world. If you're a beauty queen and you're 19 years old and your chest size matches your IQ, then maybe you're going to say that your platform is to end world hunger. I mean, I'm not picking on beauty queens. Some of them can be very intelligent. I'm just frustrated. I'm upset with everything that's going on and the stupidity of people who purport to be our leaders. They they need to know, by the way, that when you run in front of the train, it doesn't mean you're leading the train. You're hoping you don't get run over. So you have these people making these statements, and it's almost as vacuous and, and dopey as the girl that says, I want to end world hunger. You know, really? What does that even mean? We're going to open up a soup kitchen for six and a half billion people? They say things, never mind whether it could be done, never mind what the unintended consequences are or maybe the intended consequences. They'll just say, let's do this, let's do that. Wouldn't this be nice if we could do such and such? Mexico is a third world country. It really shouldn't be. It has the 15th largest economy in the United States. I'm sorry, in in the world. So how is it that people live in poverty? Because they have an oligarchy that controls the wealth of the country with an iron fist. That oligarchy is the role model for Mike Bloomberg and, and, and the political leaders of our country. I mean, God knows, maybe Nancy needs another refrigerator with more ice cream. It's unbearable. It's unbearable that Pelosi, and I just have to go back to this, how many people that she represents don't have food, haven't gotten a paycheck in weeks, and don't know how they're going to feed their children. Maybe they're going to a local charitable pantry to get food just to feed their kids, and they're treated to the, the site of Pelosi in her kitchen with this 25, 27,000, whatever it is, dollar refrigerator freezer, this commercial refrigerator, and it looked like there was a pair of them. One wasn't enough. Talk about a big mouth showing off her ice cream that costs, I don't even know, $15 a pint. It's infuriating. If you knew your neighbor just lost his or her job and was concerned about losing his house to foreclosure, is that the time to say to your neighbor, hey, I just got a new car. Want to go for a ride and see how my sports car handles? I don't think so. I think you'd be censored enough to just leave the car in the garage and and maybe help your friend. Maybe say to him, hey, you know, can can I help you? Is there something I could do for you? But that's Nancy. Nancy had to show off her refrigerator. You're the Speaker of the House. Why not stand in front of a blank wall or stand in front of a bookcase? Why stick it in everyone's face? Look at me. Look what I've got. Insanity. And and, and so we get to this notion that we're going to open up the borders. Nancy Pelosi wants to open the borders. It won't affect her. She has security. She lives, I'm sure, behind a gated community. She's nice and happy. Why aren't you? Why are you whining so much? I've got my ice cream. I've got my refrigerator. That's her mentality. You know, she's the the modern-day Marie Antoinette. Let them eat cake. Let them eat ice cream. If she had compassion, she would say, gee, maybe this isn't something that I should be doing. You know, holding up all my expensive chocolate and ice cream and my cake. Stand in front of a wall. Stand in front of a bookcase. Stand in front of a photograph. And not a you know, a $100,000 painting, for God's sakes. At least try to create the illusion that you can relate to the average American. What a, what a pig thing to do. What a swiney thing to do. And by the way, the left will never criticize her because she's their darling. It's okay when they do certain things. 
And we see that kind of hypocrisy, by the way, on both sides of the aisle. We're going to get to that in a moment. But Mexico, nevertheless, economically has problems, and their people don't get good health care. And lots of Mexicans wind up with the coronavirus and other diseases, and they can't be treated in Mexico. Guess what they're going to do? Well, they're going to try to get to the United States. And under U.S. law, if you're in the emergency room, they are not going to ask you, are you here legally or illegally? Are you an American? Are you an alien? No, it's first come, first serve. So if you flood, let's say, the border areas with lots of people from Latin America who are sick with the coronavirus, they're going to possibly infect more people here. Maybe a different disease. God knows. That's just what we need, more diseases. And it is happening. And this isn't bigotry. This isn't xenophobia. If you bring a dog or a horse to the United States, an animal, livestock, they quarantine it. Why? Because we know that creatures that live around the world, when they move across borders, may be bringing with them bacteria, viruses, and so forth that the animals in that region are not accustomed to, so they have no resistance to it. So they quarantine it. Plants are destroyed. When I worked at the airport as an immigration inspector, plant quarantine would come along, and if they would go through people's baggage if they found fruit or whatever into a shredder and they'd burn it boom it would be devoured by by a machine that was kind of like a a garbage disposal and then they would they would burn it they reduce it to ashes why to prevent various fungi and bacteria and viruses from hurting the food chain and plant life in, in the united states it's just that simple that's just reality that's science you want to talk about science that's science let's prevent epidemics not only among humans, but plants and animals, let's be careful that we don't import a disease. Just like when the moon rocks came back from the moon with the astronauts, they were put in quarantine in case they had brought back any uh, microorganisms from the moon. Turned out they didn't. Mars will be a bigger concern because there might be microorganisms on, on Mars. So quarantine is normal. Instead, we're being quarantined in our own houses now, you see. So... When, when people on the other side say, well, let's open the border because we're a wonderful, compassionate country, and let's give everyone free health care, you've just fired the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from all over the world. Let's get to America. We can get medical care. It's got to be better than what we're getting here in our home country. That's a catastrophe because if there are meds, they're in limited supply. First come, first serve, Americans wind up not getting the treatment they need because people came here who shouldn't be here. And, and they wound up getting the treatment. And then by the time the Americans or the lawful immigrants get to the emergency room, the, the cupboards are bare. You would think it's fair and common sense. But the world has flipped upside down. When Donald Trump, and I don't agree with everything Donald Trump says, I'm not sure what this whole thing was about um, with, um, you know, using disinfectants and all this other crazy stuff. It seems sometimes he just has to have controversy. You know, I, I think he thrives on controversy. But he's the only choice we have because Biden buys into this idea about free health care and open borders. It's a catastrophe. He buys into the idea of a massive amnesty. And I've talked about this before. The number of aliens who would participate, forget the 11 million, would be closer to 30 million, maybe more. But that's not the issue. The issue is they would then be able to bring all their kids here. So suddenly, 20 or 30 million illegal aliens bring in, let's say if they had two children each on average, because many families have eight, nine, ten kids, and some families have no kids, or the kids are here, they don't want the kids to come. 
So I'm being, you know, very optimistic. If they each bring in two children, you're looking at an influx of 60 million, most of whom won't be able to speak or write English. What would that do to the educational system? What would that do to American children? What would it do to America's minority kids? Because most of these folks are going to move into the poorer neighborhoods where we have a greater percentage of American minority kids. They're struggling to get a good education now. They're desperate to get out of the poverty and violence that they experience day to day. And then suddenly they wake up and find out that the classrooms that they're sitting in have three times the number of students. Who pays for that? How do we find the teachers? How do we find the supplies? Why are we spending more and more money on English as a second language and ignoring American kids who have learning disabilities who need early intervention and various therapies, physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, goes out the window. We've got to teach English as a second language because we're going to bring in tens of millions of foreign students. And when they grow up in a couple of years, they enter the labor, labor pool. So we flood the labor pool with tens of millions of more workers. What does that do to the unemployment rate? What does that do? to unemployment and wages. What does that do to the cost of apartments? As more people need more housing, which because of supply and demand would jack the price of an apartment through the roof. You think we have homelessness now? Just wait, pass comprehensive immigration reform and you'll quadruple or God knows what the number of people living in tents on the sidewalk. This is madness. This would be an act of national suicide. We could easily wind up with 100 million, 120 million, who knows, new green card holders if we're stupid enough to pass comprehensive immigration reform, and Biden wants it. He's determined to have that. The Democratic Party is demanding it. How in the world would you cope with 100 million or 120 million new immigrants overnight? I kid you not. Do the math. Sit down and think about it, because the journalists won't tell you this. That's why the news has to be honest, so that Americans can make informed decisions. So let's understand how immigration is involved here. Number one, because we're stupid, we've been training hundreds of thousands of Chinese science students in the United States. Biology, chemistry, computer programming, engineering. We help them build up their military. And they threaten us with it. They're determined to dominate the world. We've taught them about chemistry. And meanwhile, in February of 1998, two days short of the fifth anniversary of the bombing of the World Trade Center back in February 26, 93, Diane Feinstein herself said, you know, there's three things we should be doing. Just they held a hearing in the Senate um, the Committee on Counterterrorism. And the hearing was about foreign terrorists operating in the United States. And Diane Feinstein said, you know, maybe we should end the visa waiver pilot program. It was a pilot program. Then I've been screaming about that forever, except we keep expanding it. Maybe we shouldn't be giving visas to aliens who come from countries that sponsor terrorism. Isn't that what the president said? And, of course, the media immediately said the president is trying to block aliens from Muslim-majority countries, right? Isn't that what they keep saying? They, say, they still say it. Muslim-majority country, Muslim-majority country. If the president was trying to discriminate by religion, which is the inference, because he's a racist bigot, ask the media, they'll tell you, why did he leave off the list Indonesia, Pakistan, and India? Now, there's a reason I mentioned those three specific countries, because they are not on the list. Indonesia has the greatest number of, and it's a Muslim-majority country, it's the greatest number of citizens from Muslim-majority country, not on the list. India and Pakistan come in number two and number three. I forget which is in, in what order. 
So those three countries are the three most populous Muslim-majority countries. They're not on the list. You would think if the president was trying to keep Muslims out of the United States, Indonesia, Pakistan, and India would be on the list. It's not. And the journalists have to realize that. If they're not smart enough to figure that out, then they shouldn't be so-called journalists. But they are propagandists, and they're trying to incite a riot. It's like screaming fire in a crowded theater. Muslim majority, that's what it's about. Muslim majority, that's all you keep hearing. The, the No Ban Act that the, that the Democrats were trying to pass in the House was supposedly to prevent discrimination because the president is a bigot who's trying to keep Muslims out of the United States. Why then were Indonesia, Pakistan, and India not on the list? Because he wasn't trying to keep Muslims out of the United States, and it wasn't a travel ban, even though he foolishly uses their language. I am living through a travel ban. I'm stuck in my house. That's a travel ban. What he did was to impose a restriction on the entry of aliens into the United States, which under Title VIII, United States Code Section 1182F, he has the absolute authority to do. So what are we really talking about? This wasn't a Muslim ban. It wasn't a travel ban. It was a restriction on the entry of aliens who could not be effectively vetted and came from countries associated with terrorism. What do you call that action? Prudent, smart, looking out for America's security and the lives of people who live in the United States, and not just American citizens. Anybody who's here can be caught up in a terror attack. Look what happened on 9-11. Look what happened on the West Side Highway when... That guy um, who had, the, I believe it was a Visa lottery recipient two years ago, mowed down eight, motor, eight bike riders on the West Side Highway. They were all tourists. They weren't Americans. This is not about xenophobia, but that's always what you hear. You're a xenophobe. You want to let the immigrants in. No, I don't want to let criminals in. Why would you turn criminals loose on the streets? Why not? So while they're turning criminals loose, these power-hungry bums, mayors, governors, have been locking up Americans who go to the playground with their children. Think about that. Apparently my show isn't airing. Hmm. Let's see. Bear with me, folks. I'm just going to see if this is working or not working. I think it's working. I hope my program is airing. Um, Bear with me one moment, please. Stand by. So anyway, I, I'm hopeful that this program is is going out, but I've been getting texts that there seems to be a problem. We'll find out when the podcast comes up, hopefully. But the point that I'm trying to get you to understand is that the problem that we now face, <coughs> pardon me, is that the American people have been betrayed by the politicians and been betrayed by the journalists. And we foolishly, and we're very gullible when we do this, talk about being politically correct. We really have got to stop using the term political correctness because political correctness sounds like you're being polite. This isn't politeness. This is about altering the truth so that we confuse people. It's Orwellian newspeak, okay? So the idea that we're going to educate students, and even President Trump says, well, we're going to educate the students here. Diane Feinstein warned about that. She said, don't educate kids that come from countries that sponsor terrorism. Don't educate kids that pose a threat that may want to make weapons. We've educated the Chinese chemists. 
And they went back to Hunan. God only knows how this all happened because they are covering their tracks and refusing to let scientists from outside China get there. Now, what's really suspicious and, and really worrying is that when China realized there was a problem, they kept that information from the world, as did the World Health Organization, which, by the way, as you see in my article, the New York Times two years ago did an expose on the World Health Organization and accused that corrupt organization of trafficking in humans and Cuban doctors to Latin America. You've got to read my article and check out the links, and you'll see just how insane this is. But as soon as Donald Trump said we're not going to fund the World Health Organization, suddenly it became a sainted organization. Oh, they're trying to fight the coronavirus. ABC News interviewed Bill and Melinda Gates. Go check out the Gates Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and their nexus to the World Health Organization. Check that out. So these aren't objective people who simply want to do what's right. They have an agenda. And the well-being of America or Americans has very little, if anything, to do with their agenda. Check it out. Where are we? We're importing foreign workers. We're firing Americans. We're educating more foreign doctors than American doctors. Why? Why would a country do this? Outsourcing. Uh, Goodness. Tucker Carlson does a really great program, and a day or two ago, he had a story on about the McKinsey McKinsey and Company, and they brought on, or he brought on, a former high-ranking member of that outfit that was the force behind convincing American companies to move production outside the country. Remember what Obama said, those manufacturing jobs aren't coming back, and what are they manufacturing? Everything from antibiotics to surgical equipment to respirators and ventilators and you name it, we have to be dependent on our adversary. And China has repeatedly threatened to cut off the flow of antibiotics to the United States. They have their boot on our throat. And we bought them the boot and we laced it up for them. And then we conveniently laid down on the ground so they could put their boot on our throat. The lesson is clear. We must get back to producing the vital supplies in the United States of America. If I hear one more politician talk about the work that Americans won't do or are incapable of doing, that politician needs to be left at the curb like yesterday's garbage. It was Americans who first broke the sound barrier, first flew to the moon, first sent space probes out of the solar system, first did the genome project. I mean, we go down the whole list of what Americans have done. And you have politicians saying, for America to lead, we need to bring in the world's best and brightest. Folks, there's a name for the world's best and brightest. We call them Americans. Parties are involved. Look at the hypocrisy on the right. Think about this beauty. How many times have you heard from conservatives, well, the Constitution doesn't guarantee outcomes, only that you will have the opportunity to pursue your success. Pursue, yeah. Lots of luck pursuing it because we flooded America with foreign competition and we've done everything possible to make it impossible for you to succeed. But you have the right to pursue it. But there's no guarantee of success. Unless you're the CEO of a company making 500 times what your employees are earning, literally, back in the 50s, CEOs used to make about 50 times. Now it's well over 500 times. And they get golden parachutes. So they screw up that company, they drive the company into bankruptcy, 
but they go out the door with more money than their employees will get to see in a lifetime. And why did they get the golden parachute? Because they were great? No, they were screw-ups, but they had a deal. Now, why do they have a deal? Because on the board of directors, it's like, you know, everyone votes for everybody else. This guy wants a new plane. This guy wants a pay raise. This guy wants the parachute. And so it goes. And all of them collude, and they give each other what they want, and they bankrupt American companies. They outsource the jobs. They screw over American workers. But if you dare complain, there's something wrong with you. Then you must not be a capitalist. This isn't capitalism. It's corporate welfare. It's welfare for the wealthy. And the average American gets the shaft. So if you're going to sit down with your neighbors and have these conversations, and, and, and the, the pushback is always that somehow, you know, you're wrong, they're right, sit down and say, hey, listen, cool your jets. America for decades has been hammered by the wealthy on the extreme left and the extreme right. And the squeeze play in the middle is the middle class. The middle class is contracting. Purchasing power is going away. Homelessness is increasing. Poverty is increasing. Illiteracy is increasing. Opportunities to move upward economically is decreasing. Cost of housing going through the roof. Wages plunging. It's obvious. And now here we are in the middle of a disaster that I would tell you I think it was preventable. Why in the world are we teaching students from foreign countries the high-tech skills so that they do what they do? And we've been, you know, bending over backwards for the U.N. I don't oppose the U.N. The idea was great when Dag Hammarskjöld was there, when Uthant was there. The idea after the Second World War is that we realize just how bad war is. Over 60 million people are believed to have died during the Second World War. The human species looked at that disaster. It wasn't just the Holocaust, bad as it was. My family was decimated in the Holocaust because we're Jewish. And it wasn't only Jews. The world was an upheaval. Borders were erased and rewritten. Cities were leveled. The carnage was beyond any kind of comprehension, tens of millions of people. So the idea was let's have a forum where we can work out our differences without firing shots at each other, without blowing each other up. That's a noble idea. The problem with the UN, it was a political organization that that respected the sovereignty of the member countries, but not anymore. The push is on for globalism because this is wealth. Go back to that nitwit that was at that hearing. Borders are an impediment to the wealth of the wealthy. And when you're worth a billion dollars, God only knows you need another billion. When you have 10 mansions, God knows you need 12 mansions. They're in a feeding frenzy. And we're the ones getting devoured. The future of our children getting devoured. And the media is complicit. The language they use has been very effective at confounding any honest conversation. Donald Trump was right when he talked about fake news, but it's not just undermining his administration. It undermines our democratic republic. It undermines our freedom. I wasn't a big fan of Ronald Reagan. I'm being honest with you. He's probably a nice guy. I I didn't have, you know, animosity towards the guy, but he was the guy that gave us the amnesty. He was the guy that gave us the visa waiver program. He was the guy that gave us the visa lottery, and it took his successor, George Herbert Walker Bush, to sign it into law. 
So there were a bunch of things he did that I disagreed with. But Ronald Reagan said something that has stuck with me. I just can't get it out of my head. He said that freedom is never more than one generation from extinction. Could we be witnessing that now? God forbid. As I said earlier, you have a couple with their six-year-old girl daughter playing in the park. There's nobody around, and the police came and arrested the father. Do you think that little girl will ever forget that? Do you think she will be the same? I've made thousands of arrests as an agent. I was there 30 years, a long time. I was very busy. I always, always, always did everything possible to never arrest someone in front of their children, to never put the handcuffs on in front of their children. They're going through hell because we've arrested their parents. Why would I want to add to their misery? I remember we arrested a lawyer who was involved with the mob and murders and kidnapping, and we did surveillance on the guy's house. The guy was, was operating in California and Florida. It was, it was an amazing case. But all of us, and we had law enforcement from all over the country because everybody wanted a piece of this damn lawyer. But we waited until his wife drove the children off school. Why? Because I didn't think we should be going into that. And we all looked at it. I'm not just saying me. We didn't want to hit that house while the kids were there and put them through that trauma. It's bad enough that when they come home, they find out that their father is gone probably forever because I believe he wound up getting either life in jail or close enough to it that it won't much matter. They will be grown and out of the house and with their own children before he's ever out of jail, if ever. But why put them through the trauma of armed agents coming in and taking him into custody? Just wait. The wife goes off with the kids, and then we moved in and made the arrest no incident. Because I'm a sick character, I said to the guy, uh, in giving him the Miranda warning, I said, you have the right to talk to yourself before we ask you any questions since you're a lawyer. Everybody thought it was kind of funny. Uh, he just infuriated me because he was alleged to have been involved with homicide and, and some really nasty stuff. I mean, this guy was the embodiment of evil. But bad as he was, we didn't want to do this to his kids. They didn't do it. They didn't deserve this. And yet you have a guy who's playing catch with a six-year-old daughter in a park, and the cops come and arrest the father because they were in the park and there was nobody near them. Is that what we've become? Really, I want you to stop and ask yourself, is that what America is supposed to be? We have drones flying over cities to keep tabs on citizens. And the dangerous thing about this, besides the fact that I worry about surveillance and the Fourth Amendment, is that those drones are made by China or in China. And they are undoubtedly sending back photos and real-time data to China. We fly spy planes and satellites over countries that are our adversaries to gather intelligence. Think about the U-2 that was shot down, the U-2 plane with Francis Gary Powers. But that's not what happened here. Here you've got, they don't need planes like the U-2 flying over America because we have drones flying over our cities at treetop levels, taking photographs of everything. And China just sits there and sucks up the information and it doesn't cost them a damn thing couple of mainframe computers, maybe, a couple of servers, whatever. Does that make any sense? What are we doing? See, we have to learn lessons from this. My dad used to say there's no mistakes in life, only lessons if we learn from what goes wrong and act accordingly. And that's what we absolutely have to do. We have to learn the lessons that these failures should teach us. And if we're not able to do that, then we are in deep trouble indeed. And that's something that needs to be never forgotten. Now, I wrote my article 
because I've been watching all this madness going on with fake news. And, and you know, I, I've always talked about this. I've written about this issue. My degree, as I've said, is in, in, in uh, communications, arts, and sciences. Journalists, if they're ethical, are supposed to be like law enforcement officers. In both cases, you're supposed to be a fact finder. For a reporter, for a journalist, the goal is to write a report, a story, to enlighten the electorate, the, the citizenry. As an agent, the goal was possibly a criminal prosecution or maybe exonerating somebody. That happens, too. And we had two sets of law, criminal law and administrative law. Criminal law meant you went to jail. Administrative law meant you might lose your green card and be deported, whatever. But there were consequences, and we dealt in facts, and there's only one version of the truth. But when you have journalists lying and using deceptive language, it doesn't number on the people. And by doing that number on the people, we have a serious problem. Because the problem that we have is that the American people have gotten a distorted view of the universe. Let me read to you. This is just a little excerpt from George Orwell's 1984. This is really important because it explains what's going on. This is an, a, um, an appendix to the book 1984, which I keep saying to everybody, read it, read it, read it, read it. You need to read it. The purpose of Newspeak was not only to provide a, mod, a, mod, a medium of expression, if I get the words out, a medium of expression for the worldview and mental habits proper to the devotees of the English Socialist Party or INGSOC, but to make all other modes of thought impossible. It was intended that when Newspeak had been adopted once and for all, an old speak, forgotten, that's what we speak, a heretical thought that is a thought diverging from the principles of the English Socialist Party should be literally unthinkable as least so far as thought is dependent on words. So in other words, folks, if you change the words, you can change the thought. Thought control, word control. They go hand in glove. Its vocabulary was so constructed as to give exact and often very subtle expression to every meaning that a party member could properly wish to express while excluding all other meanings and also the possibility of arriving at them by indirect methods. So this, again, was an attack on the thought process, you see. This was done partly by the invention of new words, but chiefly by eliminating undesirable words and by stripping such words as remained of unorthodox meanings and so far as possible of all secondary meanings whatsoever. To give a single example, and this is really brilliant, check this out. The word free still existed in Newspeak, but it could only be used in such statements as the dog is free from lice or this field is free from weeds. It could not be used in the old sense of being politically free or intellectually free since political and intellectual freedoms no longer existed even as concepts and were therefore of necessity nameless. Quite apart from the suppression of definitely heretical words, reduction of vocabulary was regarded as an end in itself, and no word that could be dispensed with was allowed to survive. Now, this is the bottom line. Newspeak was designed not to extend, but to diminish the range of thought, and this purpose was indirectly assisted by cutting the choice of words down to a minimum. So you see it with the word alien. Legal term simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. No insult there. It's not a pejorative. But by eliminating the word alien, you eliminate the notion that people who come to the country illegally are violating the law. You call everybody an immigrant, and then you keep on reinforcing the notion that we're a nation of immigrants. So if you dare suggest 
that our immigration laws have to be enforced, then you're labeled not pro-enforcement, which is what you should say, but anti-immigrant. And that means un-American. <clears throat> that means xenophobe. No, it doesn't. The immigration laws have nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. But you would never know it if you listen to the media. So the way it works is if you want immigration anarchy, you're called pro-immigrant. If you believe that the immigration system, which already is the most generous in the world, we admit over a million lawful immigrants every year. We admit tens of millions of temporary visitor aliens, not immigrants every year. But if you suggest that we limit who comes in, keep out terrorists, keep out criminals, keep out fugitives, keep out aliens who would take the jobs of Americans, they don't call you pro-enforcement. They call you anti-immigrants. It's remarkable. So it becomes a verbal attack on anybody who would dare stand up to them and say, wait a minute, we have to have a limit. If you go to an airport, you have to have a ticket. Why do you need a ticket? Because if they try to put too many people on the airplane, it won't take off. When you think about what happened with the Titanic sinking, the tragedy wasn't just that it hit an iceberg. And the iceberg, of course, was much bigger than what they could see. Three, uh, seven, uh, seven-eighths of the iceberg are underwater. It was much bigger than it appeared to be. But they didn't have enough lifeboats. They had roughly as many lifeboats as they, uh, half the number of lifeboats they needed for all the passengers and crew that were on the ship. And there was a problem with the ship on top of that, which I read when I started digging into this. The cranes that lowered the lifeboats into the water weren't strong enough to support a loaded lifeboat. So they basically had to put the lifeboats in the water pretty much empty and then try to get the passengers to get from the, the sinking ship to the lifeboats in, in tossing seas. Didn't work out. A lot of people died. A lot of people died. <clears throat> Today, America got hit not by an iceberg but by the coronavirus. The lifeboats are hospitals and ambulances. The ventilators, the antibiotics, the personal protective equipment for the first responders, for the nurses and doctors, those are the life preservers. And we don't have enough. And we're having them manufactured in China for the most part. Brilliant. And now, after China did this to us, they lie about it. And by the way, it's remarkable that they wouldn't allow their citizens to travel outside of Hunan province once they realized that the epidemic was underway. They said, you're not traveling around our country and spreading this terrible disease. But they didn't stop them from getting on international airliners and spreading that disease all over the world. So you got to wonder, was this by design or what? But now they're lying and saying it's our fault that it happened. And... They're price gouging the supplies that we desperately need and threatening to not send us the supplies at all. And you know who I blame? I don't blame China. They're acting rationally. They're evil. I don't trust them. They have no belief in human rights or civil rights or freedom. But mostly I blame our government. I blame our leaders. I blame the politicians who were bribed by the corporations who followed this advice by the McKinsey and Company and other outfits that said to them, oh, <laughs> manufacture your stuff overseas. We don't need to make anything here. You could save tons of money. Never mind that you destroy the middle class. Never mind that you take from Americans the American dream. Who cares about them? You're going to make money. 
And now I find it interesting that so many companies are offering to work with Americans who are out of work to sell, sell them cars and lease vehicles and put off payments for months. And Folks, I'm not naive. I'm not a child. But wouldn't it be nice if people recognize that we're all human beings? Our value isn't associated with our bank book. If you want to see a man who I think is an abject failure as a human being, I would point to Mike Bloomberg. The guy's one of the wealthiest guys in the world, had a great education. He's an engineer. He's worth over $60 billion. And by the standards that I was raised by, he's a nobody. He's a nothing. He's a less than nothing. And I'm not talking about his height. Height doesn't matter. It's his lack of values, his lack of morality. He's worth $60 billion, gets a lot of his money from China. By the way, John Boehner, according to an article, again, it's both sides of the aisle. The Republican Speaker of the House went to work, according to a news report a couple of years ago, for a lobbying outfit that represents China. Both sides of the aisle are doing this. They're all in bed with China and all these corporations. That's why we're getting shafted. But Mike Bloomberg couldn't bring himself to admit that China is a dictatorship when he did an NPR interview. What's going to happen? China's not going to give him any more money. He's going to go hungry. The guy's worth $60 billion, but yet he's still beholden to the holy dollar that China dangles in front of him like the way they, 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 they dangle a, a, uh, a rabbit in front of the greyhounds before they go running down the track in Florida, right? They, they, they dangle this little carrot. Oh, what do I have to say? What do I have to say? That's not a man. That's not a human being. I, I don't know what that is. It's a nobody. You look at those hardworking people who are delivering the groceries and driving the trucks. They are what I call everyday heroes. They're just like my dad, who was a construction worker, for whom no job was too dangerous or dirty or backbreaking. It was a day's work, and he was happy to have it so he could pay the mortgage and put food on the table for me and my mom. Everyday heroes. I was taught that anybody who does an honest day's work is entitled to respect. And uh, my father said, and you know their names, too. And I said, how do I know their names? He said, their name, sir, sir. And suddenly we're realizing it. If those truck drivers and the grocery store workers and everybody else in that supply chain stopped working, we would starve to death. They are no less important to our well-being than the doctors and nurses and the first responders. America is a big orchestra, and we all have an instrument to play. And we need to stop looking down our noses at our fellow Americans like the Nancy Pelosi's of the world with her $27,000 freezer. We need to give her the cold shoulder to match that freezer of hers. The thing that's more frozen than that freezer is her heart. It was a heartless thing to do. It was a thoughtless thing to do. But in that moment, you saw who she truly is, ugly. I mean, really ugly. Because this is a woman who obviously didn't care about the sensibilities of the people she's supposed to represent. And she doesn't care, I promise you. She's on a power trip. The governor of Michigan is on a power trip. People that could lock up a father in front of his six-year-old daughter because they were playing catch in an empty park need to find a new way to make a living. I'm a big supporter of law enforcement. 
I work closely with members of the New York City Police Department and other police departments, as well as other federal agencies in other countries. I'm not, I'm not squeamish about making arrests. I made many arrests. But in front of the little girl, you take her father into custody, you handcuff him and toss him in the back of a police car because he was playing catch with her in an empty park. We the people have got to stand up to this lunacy because this could become the new norm. You know, they said that there's a new normal. What I fear, folks, is that is the new normal. And if they could do it to that guy a couple of days ago, look in the mirror, you could be next. I could be next. This is mindless lunacy. This is a power grab. A vacuum was created, and these egotistical politicians are seeking to fill that void with their oversized egos and lack of moral compass. This is crazy. This is crazy, and we need to stand up. Uh, my first wife died of cancer many years ago. Her mother was in a concentration camp. Uh, may they rest in peace. I remember asking her over dinner, how did it happen? And she said, well, everyone said it can't get worse. Can't get worse. I'm not saying that God's bid we're headed in that direction, but I certainly don't like the direction that we're headed at nonetheless. Please sit down with your neighbors and have conversations and talk about how this misuse of language is doing so much damage. I focused in my article, as you will see, on how what I thought was an objective website that reports on the military and matters of diplomacy referred to Donald Trump's airplane or the 747 as, as Trump's Air Force One. He's never going to fly in it unless the next president gives him a ride because the way it works is the president orders the plane, but it doesn't get uh, presented. It doesn't get delivered until the next administration comes in. And the current pair of Air Force One jets are actually uh, almost 30 years old. They'll be 35 years old before the new planes are flying. This wasn't an ego statement, but what they tried to do, the people who wrote that article, was again to tar and feather the president. Now, I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not here to excuse President Trump or be his defender. But I am here to defend our Constitution and the way that we do business and the way that we relate to one another. And when you have the steady drumbeat of misinformation that's designed to undermine an administration and undermine our freedoms, well, that's a threat to all of us. It threatens the future of our country, and in so doing, it threatens the future of our children and their children. As good parents and as good Americans, we have an obligation to stand up. We have an obligation to get our voices heard because we always have to remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. Please go to my website, michaelcutler.net. Please check out my article at frontpagemag.com. I hope you stay safe, stay well, um, hang in there. It's got to get better, hopefully. Uh, summer's coming. I am hopeful that we will vanquish this beast. But let's see this as an opportunity to learn some very important lessons. So long, everybody. See you next week.